0: It's our annual end-of-season roundtable, and we'll be bringing it to you next on Baseball HQ Radio.
1: Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host, from
0: BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio. For Saturday, the 16th of October, we're coming to you live from First Pitch, Arizona, in Mesa, Arizona, and we have a crowd of five, six hundred people here. Should have charged an admission. Could have actually turned a profit on this uh, on this whole thing. Uh, and I'm joined for our end of season roundtable by our usual guests from Masters Ball, RotoWire, ESPN, SiriusXM. It's Todd Zola, everybody. And from BaseballHQ.com, the co-general manager and still a columnist at the site, Ray Murphy. (laughs) Maybe the most tired guy here. Ray and Brent have been doing a great job keeping the first pitch Arizona rolling. Uh, That's been terrific. So, guys, in segment one of the roundtable, let's talk about the fantasy storyline of 2021. What did you think happened in 2021 that had the greatest impact on how we're going to look at the game for the rest of the rest of the future. I guess we could say Todd, what do you think?
2: I'm because there's no other time for me to bring what I'm about to bring up, I'm going to bring I'm going to going to put it in here. Um, we you know, the ball this that. It was talked about and we're looking at it at the AFL that the uh, the old shift is going to be outlawed. And I don't think I don't think we're taking as much consider you know, the DH and the sticky stuff. How much that's going to change the game. And it, it, sure, they talked about it all this summer, so I technically can talk about it now. But I think if we're talking, if, if, we're, if we're starting to look at next year and what happened this year, I think don't A didn't, didn't matter. That That's not a good comparison. I think it's going to change our game huge.
0: That's if it goes through, of course, and we've got a collective bargaining agreement coming and it'll probably have to be yeah. legislated yeah. with the approval now, of the a, union.
2: As an analyst – I think I I, don't, I I don't think they should outlaw it. Teams should be rewarded for good fielding and 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 advanced scouting and and that sort of thing. I'll admit, though, as a fan, the game would be better if the ball was in play more.
1: But the shift only gets rid of balls that are already in play.
2: Well, no, that it, the 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 more balls that are in play are
1: safely. Balls in play, but, but, that's, many- but that's exactly my point. Is I think banning the shift is solving for the wrong problem. The problem is the strikeouts and the balls that are not in play, not that too many balls that are in play well, are getting called. I think the problem is that because of the shift and whatever it, the,
2: the, the home run or nothing mentality. And I think the answer the the answer is wait
1: till generation a generation of players comes up and learns how to hit. But we don't have the, we don't have that patience. No. no, that's fair. I mean, we were watching the playoff game last night, and. You know, in a one-run game in the eighth inning, there was, you know, roughly 179 feet available to Travis Shaw on the left side of the field, and he wanted nothing to do with it. I mean, so at some point, these guys are just, you know, too dumb to take what's being offered them. I I think that there's probably a correction to be made there, and, you know, the shift is ubiquitous because it works, right? And nobody's figured out how to instill the discipline to... Uh, you know, to, to counter the shift because, as you say, all, the, all anybody wants is to have, hit a ball that wins on the other side of the fence.
2: But it would change what – I mean, we need to – there's a lot more massaging of projections oh, sure. by looking up what this guy does against the shift and pitching, et cetera. Uh, and I just – I think people are kind of brushing it off. It's, that's no big deal. It won't matter. I think it's a bigger effect on the ball. I think it's a bigger effect than the DH. I think it's huge.
0: I think it's huge too, but I think Ray's right that they're solving the wrong problem. Oh, absolutely! But too that's many strikeouts is the problem, and not a not like well, not, would be, balls they can't in play. Well, no, so let's no, go find another
2: were, problem we could solve. If if there were if you're if it were paid if you get better dividends by putting the ball in play, there would be fewer strikeouts. That, right. And so that so it is solving the problem. I mean, the, to me, it is solving the problem. But I again, though, as an analyst, as someone who believes that research should you know lead you to better things, I don't think. I don't, I don't, you know, I'm I'm torn. I don't think, I think they should be rewarded, the advanced scouts and and, and looking these things up. But
1: I also do admit the game would be better. Let me take the other side of my own argument because, PD I know on one of those episodes during the summer, we talked about the Bill Simmons, Theo Epstein interview where Theo talked about all the ways that he was going to try to change that, you know, all the things they're looking at to change the game. And when you come right down to it for the strikeout problem, you have to do something foundational to fix it, whether it's moving the mound or lowering the mound, you know, any of those sorts of things that change mm-hmm. the game in a way that, you know, start to, you know, mess with a hundred years of history, right? So in that sense, as much as I think it's solving for the wrong problem to ban the shift, sure, try it. That's not a generational change that you know throws the you know the entire history of the game out the window. Go ahead and try it, like Todd says. See if that incentivizes people enough to put the ball in play. Stop striking out like mad fools, and see if you know we can take a couple of ticks off the strikeout rate without you know literally changing the design of the field. Sure, fine, try it.
0: I remember hearing somebody, I think it might have been Ron Chandler's opening presentation, where he said that one of the rules that they might look at changing has more to do with where the the infielders are depth-wise rather than width-wise, and they may just say you have to keep your feet on the dirt. Well, that's that's part, part of the, the start that, of the that's play.
2: That's what the what the, re, the uh, legislation of the shift would be. You need two infielders on either side of the second, and all four of them have to have both feet on the dirt. So what you're gonna see is you're gonna see dirt going out to mid you know mid, <laughs> mid the outfield. No, <laughs> yeah, that joke that, aside, that, that's, that's that's what we're seeing at the AFL. Yeah. And that that's how you that's how you legislate, because, I mean, the, the, the shift is, is the shift is defined as an infielder on the other side of second. So, I mean, in, which is kind of why does the shift work? It's it's defensive positioning. So the, the shift is I mean, you have to define it somewhere. You know, we got to objectively uh, and that's how it's defined when one of
1: the infielders is on the other side of the bag. And that's the getting to your point about the ramifications. And PD, we're really down on a rabbit hole t- five seconds into the show here, but yeah, that's what we do. Um, get, getting into ramifications is not just about going to, into the projections and figuring out who benefits from that on the hitting side and who. Um, you know, adjusting for left-handed hitters versus right-handed hitters and where the benefits go. There's also the defensive element of it because so many teams have now adopted, you know, I don't need a shortstop who can really play shortstop because he's so often actually playing where, you know, in a 1912 shortstop would have played that it's going to have impact on where you can hide and or deploy fielders and who gets playing time and how you build rosters and On and on and on and look at Brandon Lau. Yeah. The Tampa
2: we just I mean, we both watched the Red Sox play Tampa. I mean, it, it was a short right field over – I mean, the, he didn't have to move more than two feet out of the way. Whoever was his advanced scout deserves a raise because the guy – I mean, the, the ball found him. He was just in the right place at the right time. He's not that great a defender, but, well, let's get away from – could he hit in the playoffs? That's not whatever. But, yeah, no, and, and that might – you know, that might solve another problem. You're going to get more athletic defenders up the middle. Maybe steals
1: come back up. So, you know, there yeah. – there's a dynamic effect here and and the testing they did in you know trying one rule and not the other in the various minor leagues this year now continuing some with some of that stuff out in the AFL that's all interesting and they're trying to do like the controlled laboratory thing but you're right i mean it's you, you, this is kind of you are know, not too far down this down this path before you start getting unanticipated Jurassic Park effects you know for all the controlled laboratory experiments you want to do how it goes in the major league for a full season with any combination of these rules in play you're going to have to sit back and just watch where the you know butterfly goes or whatever it was that Jeff Goldblum said
0: and the the uh, idea that the unintended consequences are going to be beneficial seems uh, absurdly optimistic because usually the unintended consequences end up making things worse because you're not as we said you're not solving for the right problem in the first place and you haven't thought all the way through what happens in the second place Uh, getting back to can you beat just beat the shift by playing better Joey Gallo in the in the playoffs dropped a couple of bunts down well not bunts he just kind of poked the ball in the general direction of third and sauntered up to first base he could have somersaulted all the way there because there was nobody around and my wife was watching the game and she says why don't they all do that (laughs) yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question right if you want to stop them from shifting make it make them pay for it although it might be the case that a uh a, from the defensive point of view the other team might go i can live with joey Galloway on first but i can't live with is him smoking well, it over the fence
2: that's one of the fallacies of uh, well if he bunts a couple times he'll stop shifting no they they'll shift more because <laughs> that's what they want him to do right yeah so, that's exactly so right.
1: That is, yeah
0: unintended consequences ray what was your uh, story of the year
1: yeah, mine wasn't as forward-looking as Todd's. It was more retrospective, and to me, this was and probably will, in my mind, at least, be remembered for a very long time as the year of Shohei Ohtani. And, you know, we just – shameless plug alert – we just dropped the cover of the 2022 Baseball Forecaster – on sale now uh, – a, with the, the cover the, or the whole thing? the, the whole well, actually, it exists in the form of about a cover and nothing else right now, but I will address that between now and Thanksgiving. Um, but the uh, you know we Otani's on cover with uh, you know, for the first time in a while, we actually have you know two pictures, one of Otani pitching and one of Otani hitting. And you know, for all of the things that we say often in this year end podcast about, man, player X really just had an absurd year. I mean, this wasn't just absurd. I mean, it was literally unprecedented. There was, you know, so much writing over the summer about how it started with, well, no one's done this since the days of Babe Ruth. And then people looked more closely and were like, well, you know, technically Babe Ruth never actually did this at the same time. <laughs> you know, it, you know, it's not absurd. It's unprecedented. We've never seen it before. And it was really just seemed like the, you know, the, the very bleeding edge of
0: what one human being can do on a baseball field for six months. Something interesting that came up about the whole Otani thing, I was in the 15-team mixed auction draft that we had here at First Pitch Arizona, and Otani's name came up, and right away everybody started yelling, is, is Otani in this league two guys, one guy, one guy can do both, one guy that you have to decide? And their particular interpretation was you had him doing either, but you had to choose on a weekly basis which way you wanted him to go. And I wonder what you guys think, but my first reaction was, I think it would just be better to split him into two guys because we want him on rosters as often as possible, and if you have a setup that says if he's going to hit, he can't pitch on a f- in your fantasy league, you're missing out on all the pitching that he does and, and you know not forcing a proper valuation, pop, uh, proper auction pricing, and so forth.
1: And then there's another wrinkle that yeah. I frankly was not in tune with until this weekend because one of the things I actually came out here as a student slash attendee to do was to get brush up on my understanding of the best ball format and we had a best ball format among the drafts we ran this afternoon for the first time out here and Otani was the first pick why because you get both of them not at the same time but like in the the way the best ball format works is at the end of the given week or scoring period it builds your optimal lineup so if Otani hits four four home runs this week he's going to go in your optimal lineup as an outfielder if he throws a two-hit shutout he's going to go in your optimal lineup as a pitcher I mean yeah I can understand why he's the first pick in that format.
0: Why, what if he does both?
1: Whichever one, its a—it's a point scoring format, so whichever one's worth more points.
0: Right. And my—but my point earlier was you've missed that you, s- somehow. You're, you're missed not going to get those. You're three not going to get
1: his sum of the week if he did both. You're right. You're going to get the. You're going to get the best of either. So yeah, you're right. You can do. Um, we had a score sheet draft. Scorchy treats him as two players. You can keep him on. He go. He goes on one roster, but you know he's. You have Otani dash H and Otani dash P. Todd
2: still doesn't make him the number one player but that's an argument for another for another podcast no yeah. um, but I mean, again I'm a best ball newbie so. I understood <laughs> so actually I mean part of part of the uh, conference here I've been involved in two league meetings where we've had our rules discussion because most of the leagues are out here and how we're going to handle Otani is 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 amongst the discussion and see breaking news business getting well, done I, I don't even I know don't the know. answer yet tell I me how we're Otani? getting done <laughs> in these <laughs> <laughs> leagues are you know they're they're mutually exclusive um in tout wars we started out with two Otanis, and the idea was going to be let's get it go a couple of years and make a decision to see if we want to have it I, I adopt another way this is the first year that we really had the data that we or you know not some data but to see what happens when he does both we haven't had that to, we haven't been able to make a decision because we haven't seen what the so where we wouldn't we, we didn't make a decision yet but where it, it's up for you know Tot wars may not have two otanis or it may i don't know um but i mean the way you know how how do i lean um i know there's, there's a third way which i know i don't want i'm kind of agnostic just tell me the way it is and and i'll adapt if i'm a player or, or commissioner i do kind of like two Otanis because it helps another argument that I will make about Otani in that I think in a finished way there are two Otanis. I think there is a, a pitcher and there is a hitter and that the pitcher belongs getting pitcher stats and the hitter with hitting stats. So the way that Yahoo, i uh, Yahoo, I'm sorry, Yahoo, Labor does it. Uh, Yahoo actually does it the way I just described, which is why it was on my mind of the major sites. Yahoo has two Otanis. They did. Labor, it's what uh, you kind of just described, what NFPC does, one or the other, but not both. And, um, that's what we have it in, in a league we call the XFL. Uh, there's been a vote for a couple years. The, what it, the, the, someone, the, the league is trying, or we've been voting on, he takes up one lineup spot, but actually gets both pitching and hitting stats. That's the third that, and I'm not, and I'm against that because that I do believe that there's a hitting Otani and a pitching Otani, and that the one put on the pitching side of the roster should not get hitting stats. I don't want to get an old, but Baumgartner and Greinke, that it, it's you know whatever. But one of the arguments, and I wanted to, kind of a question, was made in the favor of doing this was, uh, and sure. I mean, I'm, if Trace gets mad at me, so be it. Trace Wood was the one who presented this data. He comes, he's been here before. Um, and and showed us how the attendance numbers, home and away, when Otani pitches, went through the roof. And money, more money for the team, more money for the, you know. So his his, his suggestion was going to be there are going to be more two-way players. So we're not talking about Shohei Otani here. We're talking about making a rule for the future when this next wave of two-way players comes in over the next five or ten years you guys think that there's going to be a you think there's going to be a wave in 10 years that it'd be 12 otanis or zero otanis which is more likely be zero Zero. yeah and i'm not this isn't a this isn't a knock against my friend trace wood at all um i mean it's a
1: very intelligent argument i i I think to, to that end i think the corollary to that that resonates with me is he's one player to the angels He's doing both things out of one roster spot. Some nights he's doing both things out of one lineup spot. That's the argument. For he's not getting, paid, paid,
2: know, he's not for getting most, paid. Yeah, he's not getting paid as a hitter, and he's not getting paid as a pitcher. He's drawing one salary,
1: right? I would say wait and see on that. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. true. But, uh, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, I don't see twelve Otani's in five or ten years' time.
0: But I'll tell you something else. If leagues do go that third way where you have Otani and you get both, then he is going to be 1-1 in every such league. I'm
2: in a league now. I know we're getting off topic. I'm in a league now where NFBC has pitching and hitting moves. I'm sorry, hitting moves on Friday. I'm in a league that is with pitching and hitting moves on Friday. That's enough. Yeah. And I lo- I am in that league and I love it in that league. Yeah. because yeah, so. you can
1: get, you'll get it started, it only costs you three or four days. Yeah. And then you can plug them back in the lineup for whatever party is yeah. not there. Yeah. So uh yeah. It's
2: it's not it isn't yeah, it, Daly's obvious. I mean, Daly's the first, second and third best player. But um yeah, but th- this is as close to Daily as I'm willing to play. We really should just rename this show Baseball HQ
1: Tangents. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, it, it's my turn for my fantasy storyline, and I'm going to raise the sticky stuff, which you mentioned oh. earlier. I thought it was a really important story because it caused such an inflection point in the year. Garrett Cole was really affected. He went from being arguably the best pitcher in baseball, and he struggled mightily uh, down the stretch, all through the second half. And it started me thinking. Well, <laughs> Todd's grabbing his hands. I'll let him. you finish. <laughs> uh, I, and I. I not so much interested in the sticky stuff per se, because I think they're gonna to adapt to it. What I was really bothered by is that they did it in the middle of the season. They should've, if they're gonna do that, they knew, they've known about it for years, they should've said before the season started or after the season ended, the change is going to come at that time, but to do it in the end of June or whenever it was, really put the cat amongst the pigeons. And from a fantasy point of view, all of a sudden, if you invested a first-round pick in Garrett Cole, you're kind of choked. You know, I I know he's been using this stuff, and that's part of my thought process that he has these incredible spin rates. And all of a sudden, somebody comes along and says, "You're not allowed to do that anymore." It would be like telling a, a good switch hitter, "No, no switch hitting. You got a bat left." Said so like Mullins,
2: you
1: can't switch it anymore. <laughs> yeah. It could work. But devil's advocate, if they had done this at the start of the 2022 season, sure, we would have had the entire winter to comb through spin rate data and figure out who might have been affected, right? Or Mm -hmm. who's going to be affected more than others. Does that mean we would have gotten it right? I'm not so sure it does. I mean, I I, I think I've not taken a dive into this yet, but I don't think there's an easy correlation to draw between the guys who had the highest spin rates were the ones who got affected the most. I think it's more, I, I think the impact on guys, there definitely are guys like Cole, and I'll, let Todd, I'll leave to Todd to debate whether or not the spin rate was the actual problem with Cole as opposed to the bolt hamstring or whatever else. Mm. But I'm not sure, even with a Winter to look at it in advance, we would have done better than a scattershot knowledge of who was going to be impacted and who wasn't. Do you know who we have to blame for the midseason?
0: Ron Chandler. No, nope.
2: the, the person is here. <laughs>
0: Ron Chandler's here.
2: No, it's not Ron though. No, who's it? Eno. Yep. No, well, I, I'm, I'm a little bit hyperbole. but no, you know, exposed it in the athletic, and um, and you know there was there was a reaction. Now you know, so, you know as far as Cole goes, while I was groaning. He was bad for two starts. Then he was nails again, and then he hurt his hamstring. So I, I don't know. You know, but but it, I don't know the you say it was sticky stuff because he had two or three starts previously afterwards where he was really 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 good um, examining the numbers spin rate went down um, but you know you thought when when certain things happen you think that you know this should happen that should happen um, K's went down but you would think homers would go up but they didn't so I mean some of the things that you would expect to have happened didn't Small sample weather. There's other
1: reasons for these things to but and, that's, to occur. and that kind of gets into my whole point right. about this, which is. Right. You know, Todd and I—we have this lament seemingly every year on this year-end pod, which is the prognostication nightmare aspect of this. (laughs) And like, we're we're building this house of cards to begin with of projections we know are going to be wrong. And now they—you know—every year, multiple times during the year, you know, we've had what four straight years of different balls. Now we've got sticky stuff not on balls, and come spring we may have the Olympic ball or some approved kind of sticky, not super sticky stuff. I, I try not to swear on this podcast, but come the F on. So they check the hat, the belt, and the glove. What, what if they're putting it somewhere else? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And they tell it's, them it's in advance. Giggler Perry had it in his back yeah. pocket. I, I keep waiting for them to start checking yeah. our So know, I it's... mean, the, the obvious solution
2: is to come up with a tacky ball. Yeah, a tacky ball but, or yeah. some.
1: Well, approved, approved 20% tacky substance.
2: Right, and I'm, can you imagine, I'm you know, more you know, jokey than anything else, it, between each inning, the pitcher has to go to the umpire who applies a, a little dab on their right. finger and <laughs> it can stretch two inches but
0: not three or whatever. Yeah, you know? or not two and one sixteenth, yeah. and then we all get uh, tied up. As I said, I didn't think the story was too, totally meaningful because of the impact. It was the willingness of Major League Baseball to address a public relations issue right in the middle of the season and it must have had some effect on some guy and and we don't know what it was to your guy's yeah. point but it created uncertainty and when and there's enough uncertainty in fantasy baseball as it is yeah. you know we're, we're kind of shooting That's my at, central complaint at, is they just keep, yeah
1: it's hard enough already and they keep making it harder but you know and then there's there's data out you know in the last couple of weeks or in the postseason that like the, for all the spin rate we lost back in you know mid-june when they did this something like you know 40 percent 50 percent of it has you know, mysteriously mysteriously come back so you know to your point is it that you know some some people have figured out how to, how to hide stuff or the empire searches have gotten complacent or you know Quietly, they did approve some substance or change the ball midseason because we know they've done that before. So I I would just prefer transparency. At least they told us they banned this stuff. I guess in in some weird world that's progress because they would have just not told us three years ago and balls would have been flying out of parks. Everyone's spin rate would have been down and Eno would have been looking at the data saying, what's going on here? (laughs)
0: Let's move on. Uh, Fantasy Cy Young this year. Uh, Ray, do you want to start us off? Who do you think was Fantasy Baseball's best pitcher?
1: Mine was Carlos Rodon for an ADP of I looked this morning five hundred and seventy eight returning uh, twenty five dollars in value and clearly you know in late in the season the postseason you know he wore down and uh, you know carrying the workload was a little more than uh, during the regular season left him without what they needed for him for October but the random healthy year from Carlos Rodon and not just the health but the uh, you know the sudden development of control and all the stuff that was elusive even the last time he was healthy. Uh, that to me for a you know return on investment perspective, I, he was my scion.
0: Mine was a similar story, uh, not so deep into the ADPs, Robbie Ray of the Jays. Canadian bias. <laughs> well tight pants buys I think more <laughs> Every, everybody makes the tight pants joke at least three times uh, whenever they talk about Robbie Ray but he was drafted very late it was 17th round ADP I think and he hung on a $33 season according to Baseball HQ uh, 284, 105 for decimals which is really good uh, knocked all the bases on balls out of his game which had been his bugaboo um, his XERA was pre- maybe not, not quite as good but he led Major League Baseball in strikeouts and from our pitcher spotlight at First Pitch Arizona, I'm not sure how much faith our experts have in a repeat, but anyone who had Robbie Ray this year got as much value, I think, as you can possibly get out of a pitcher.
2: I agree with Robbie Ray as is, is the choice, but I want a slight caveat with not everybody that had Robbie Ray as a pitcher had him for 32 starts in their lineup. I mean, I'm, this isn't against a pick because I'm picking him too. I mean, it's more anecdotally, how many starts – did it take before someone trusted that? Hey, look what we got here! <laughs> now, I mean, the NFPC champion Phil uh, Phil Desault, he didn't project Robbie Ray 2.8, but his 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 system, if you will, had him ahead of the market, so he had. Yeah, just had Ray on it. So if you had him, you know, things like that. That's all. it's – And you, you, when you're expecting someone to be your sixth or seventh starting pitcher, the expectations, you know, are lower. So you're you're willing to accept the bad outing now and then. So I think there are a lot of people that had him in for 32. But I just, I you know, I wonder. I just it's more of an anecdotal. I wonder how long it took for people. If you drafted him, you had some you believe in something, right? Um, maybe in a, a draft champions like they're doing now. You, you know, all right, 33rd round. I'll he, what if I'll take Robbie Ray I wonder how long how many starts before someone trusted to put him in there
0: well, he was off to a pretty good start right away. I remember right. everybody south, was but... really surprised that the walks were down so much.
1: I mean, but the homers—the homers were through the roof even then.
0: Yeah. For, right. you
2: know
1: Well, and we were all worried back in April about them playing games in Florida in right. April and how the ball was going to fly out of there and all that. So yeah, the people probably—and and, you know, even after that, when they went to Buffalo, people were probably a little skittish about that and took a little time to believe what their eyes were telling them. Wait a minute, I've got—I've got an you know, eight starter on my roster from round twenty X
0: and you're okay with Robbie Ray that was your choice as yes, well yes
1: that was my just yeah i, I yeah just because
2: the, for a lot of the things that you mentioned um he was the fantasy cy young
0: fantasy mvp i'll go first Cedric Mullins, for me, I can't imagine that anybody could be happier with a with a fantasy baseball choice than to grab a guy in the reserve rounds or the 40th round or the 60th round or whatever it was, literally a completely undrafted player. I never met anybody in all of the discussions that we have about these topics, found somebody who said, I took him in the regular part of the draft, 23rd or 22nd or whatever. He just, he was so far off the radar and then he ends up being a, a, a power speed source I don't know. I think the question, I think to me it's obvious, but I think the question is how much do we trust it? And from the uh, hitter spotlight uh, session we had this morning, I think my answer is I don't think the experts trust it very much at all. And I was surprised at how down our uh, panelists were on on any kind of a repeat. They we were all expecting big time regression across the board. I, I don't know that that's true, but uh,
2: Todd? Right, this is the, the audience participation portion of our, our podcast is there any? Is there anybody in the industry that was on Cedric Mullins? Todd. No. <laughs> and I thought I thought I be having twenty people yell Justin Mason because I, well, apparently I, he was. Trust me, um, I was. On That's the- said no more audience participation. <laughs> really? Yeah. No more Zola participation. Heck <laughs> of that. Um, I mean, I'm. Listen, I'm not patting myself in the back. Two years ago, for AL labor, I paid like seventeen for Mullins. So I saw there was something there. He then tanked it. It was terrible, and you know, bad, bad choice. But this is sort of more speaking towards the repeat of the, the re- repeatability. I think the hit tools there. I think the opportunity in Baltimore is there. I think the ballpark is there. I think the top of the order is pretty good. Um, I haven't mentioned him yet, so he checks all. You know, he checks all the boxes. So I mean, so, but he, except you know him, but I do think the hit tools there. And I think there's going to be enough homers, enough steals to support a 20-ish ranking. So I'm not as, as, as down on him as some of the other panelists.
0: So early second round?
2: I actually took him in a draft in the early second round, yeah. With the pick 11 and the return picks, whatever, whatever number that makes it out to be, right around 20.
0: I have a little more to say about Cedric Mullins a, a little later about how much I think uh, what his chances are of actually being a first round player which I think makes him a hell of a bargain because if he comes anywhere close you're going to make you're going to get a second round pick and you're going to actually make a profit on it you're usually just happy to get your get your value out. Ray who do you like for your MVP?
1: I can't go against Mullins, but since we've talked about him enough, I'll nod toward. I'll I'll give a uh, respectful nod over in Marcus Simeon's direction for his season, uh, for the uh, you know thirty-five dollar forty-five home run season outside the ADP top one hundred. Keeping it forward-looking, though, I will say this: I haven't taken the deep dive yet because it's only mid-October. But I will stake a hot take that I am more worried about Simeon's downside regression than I am Mullins. How so? Well, we don't know where he's going to sign, and this was so out of line for his career. I think this just goes down as your typical age thirty career year for Semyon, who had you know he had thirty three home runs in twenty nineteen, but before that he was a uh, 20, you know, what happened in twenty nineteen. Happy happy fun, uh, ball. happy fun ball exactly, and before that but before that you know he had had one twenty seven and a bunch of seasons in the teams. This was a perfect situation for him at the top of the ridiculous Toronto lineup. And I think he was very much the benefit of the you know, sort of, I was going to say virtuous circle, but it's really that virtuous Bugs bunny cartoon of the guys all running around the bases over and over and over again. Um, And if you take him to, I don't know, pick a random place that's not actually going to sign him, but Miami. Oakland. Oakland. (laughs) You know, something something like that. I don't, you know, I, I, I think the fall from here could be pretty significant.
0: I'm going to be interested to take a deeper look in this offseason at how much playing in Dunedin and Buffalo really helped Semyon, and especially when you compare it to Rogers Center, because there's all kinds of reports in the Toronto media that uh, Ray and Semyon are much more likely to resign in Toronto than people think, because their wives like Toronto. Toronto's a great place to live if you've got money, and God knows they're going to have plenty of money, and there are other considerations when you're signing a 35 million dollar a year contract besides just the money. For one thing, they probably are interested in winning a championship, and Toronto looks like a really good place. Sure. to Sure. When that. the choice becomes, do you want the blue, red trunk, blue Brinks trunk, or the green Brinks
1: truck, etc.? Then you know you can make the choice based on you know the color of the truck as opposed to what's inside because they're all stock full.
0: That's exactly right. And so don't be sleeping on either of those guys coming back, but. I, I personally am very doubtful of either of them coming back because you know there is something to be said for an extra 10 million here in 10. Extra I,
1: I would take a bet that Ray is more likely than Steph.
0: I agree. I think that's exactly right. okay uh, let's move along. We've talked about some of the things that happened in 2021 but what are some of the general strategy changes that might happen in 2022 because of 2021? And I'll give you an example. Mine is, is how are we going to manage closers, not just next year, but in the future? Uh, Doug Dennis had a, a session today uh, with Greg Jewett. Is that his name? Yes. yes. It was terrific. It was a really interesting session. And what they were talking about is the Tampa model is catching on. That We saw it in Tampa again this year. We saw it in Seattle, and we're starting to think that, Teams are going to look at the success that these guys are having with these relatively fungible, interchangeable, low-cost arms and say, this is working for them, it could work for us if we manage it correctly, and that's going to make getting saves at the draft a very dicey proposition in the future.
1: I'll take it a step further, and my theme was on the same lines but not as focused on closers. It's the fracturing of everything from you know, not just closers, not just the way pitchers are managing the ninth inning, but throughout the whole game from openers to two winning starters to whatever, to fractures in the injury sense and the flood of IL days we had this year and fracturing of playing time as a result of that. Um, But I mean, going back to specifically the Tampa model, I think you're 100% right. And again, just to underscore the same point, you know, Tampa starts doing what they do long before the ninth inning. And but you can look at the playoffs right now, and sure, Tampa's out. But the you can go look at the way the Dodgers started Kniebel in the division series as an opener, and the way that when now that McCullers is out for the Astros, they're basically running three inning starters all over the place. And any any playoff game the Red Sox have had that doesn't have Ivaldi starting has been a three-inning, you know, they basically do, all those people are basically doing what Tampa does. And sure, it's easier with off days to do that in the postseason than regular season. We've seen the Astros doing that going back to the year they won, was at 17? So, you know, that's not anything new in October, but yeah, it's, you know, this is not a spark. This is, you know, it's not a raging inferno yet, but it's going in that way, you know, the fire is spreading.
2: Real quick, to, uh, uh, sort of to com- combine both of those comments, I have a third. It's on. It has to do with pitching, with strategy. I'm not going to change rules for the saves. I'm going to change how I draft. I, you know, I think that we, I think we need to reconsider the wins as a category to counter what's going on with the way pitching is. Uh, so it's kind of contradictory when I want to change the rules, when I don't want to change the rules, when I would adapt my strategy, when I want to adapt the rules uh that's just it just happens to be me um but with 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 pitching and it it, it, it kind of folds into what Ray was saying about three innings and four innings et cetera et cetera, et cetera you know, early rankings, early drafts, I think, and I'm not the only one that thinks this, seems like pe- people are suspecting or, or, or viewing the top-end pitching as not quite as strong as it's not quite as top-heavy, and, you know, good you know, pitching I kind of like goes a little deeper. So intuitively that means that maybe we're off of this, I have to draft two aces, or I have to draft pitching early. Realizing that Um, there's more to life than the NF... Well, not more to life. There's more people that play fantasy than the NFPC. That's its own environment, and they're never going to listen to me anyway. But I I wonder if everybody but the NFPC is going to start... aren't going to be so gung-ho about pitching early. If I had, you know, nickel for every time I heard, you know, a, a draft on the radio, uh, FSWA labor tout. I don't usually do this, but I'm taking a pitcher, in, you know, in the first round. I mean, past couple of years, it's, it's. I wonder if that's going to back down again, just because of the way we view the pitching inventory.
1: Well, and then to, to, to tie your point to PDS, I have not looked at the NFBC draft boards from this afternoon yet. But if there's more room at the top of the draft being created by. Two starters not going. Our closers running back up there is like we have seeing like Josh Hader in like the third round, and uh, you know Hendricks and Chapman, and there aren't fifteen closers we trust enough right now to draft them that early. Right. But the ones that we do are going to go that much earlier. Am I right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. And I, and I, I'm my own thought process after having a terrible year, despite reading Doug Dennis and Greg Jewett religiously, uh, having a terrible year in. Managing saves both in terms of drafting the wrong ones last winter and then having trouble fixing that on the waiver wire this year is that I am more willing than than ever before to go do just that and walk up at least one closer spot early. And then if I've got to speculate later, do that. But I would like to rid myself of the hand wringing that comes with, you know chasing Hector Neris, Greg Holland, and the like in, like, rounds 9 through 12 because I got all of those wrong last year, and I don't think that was just my fault. Well, I, mean, I, I think those are impossible problems to solve.
2: If you had done what I'd done and draft a good closer early, you just pick up Trevor Rosenthal, he would be oh, all sure. set. Yeah,
1: that's great. Yeah. <laughs> Does
2: this make that noise if I'm up for you? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Mic drop on your head. Uh, Greg and Doug, when they were talking about it, said that what they thought was you have to go into your draft with an idea – a pretty firm idea of how you're going to manage this. Are you going to commit to, to a Liam Hendricks in the third? Or are you going to commit to not a Liam Hendricks yeah. in the third and commit to I'm going to pick up 30 saves during the year with Fab? Because one of the things that we know about this model is that it's going to create a lot of guys who get four saves each and you you can pick up 40 saves if you just get 10 of them working the waiver wire over the course of the year but their point was you need to decide that ahead of time and you need to commit to it and because yeah. it's going to affect and, and how your And that's kind of not, not how I've court. thought
1: about saves for a long time and you know certainly I've dialed into the saves market and I would know at any point in the draft you know, sort of who my favorite guy is and the tiers, et cetera, who I was targeting. But in terms of where I was going to get the closer, I'm often not very intentional about it. I would use saves in a straight draft as sort of like an off-ramp. If it's round five or 10 or 12 and I get to the spot where, all right, now I'm kind of stuck. You know, I've got the bats I want or I've got my couple of starters and there's nothing really screaming at me here. Okay, let's go over to column D and get the closer, you know, and sort of be willing to do it as, you know, the draft dictated to me that, I think, to the point that you're making, that Greg, Greg and Doug were making earlier, is no longer a valid approach.
0: Any other strategy changes besides uh, closers that are emanating from this year and going to have impacts on draft and gameplay in 2022?
2: I'll answer the question again – ask this question again when we know what the rules are going to be.
1: Yeah, that was, was good. My answer, too, is like I, I, my shopping list right now is you know not yet full, but there are many, many questions to be answered between now and March or, God forbid, April and May. So.
2: I think we can – I mean, the two categories, saves and steals, I mean, I think uh, we'll maybe – actually, maybe in this, maybe it won't come up very much in what we'll be talking about going forward. But, all right, I'm, I, I need – the way to get steals is to get a, a good top first round player that gives me both power and speed. You know, like Fernando Tatis, he's safe, right? Mookie Betts, he's safe. Ronald Acuna, he's safe. Ugh. So I think that I did, you know, this assumes you're going to pay 45 or have a top pick, but I think, I think there's three or four or five people that are going to thought they had, or Christian Yelich and Mike Trout in, in previous years, I think three or four or five people who thought, well, at least I have my basis here, um, don't have their base anymore. So there's more people that are going to have to figure out how to get steals later. Does this make Trey Turner a viable, to me, it makes him a viable number one pick. But,
1: you know, that's neither, hundred, you know. How have you read the forecaster already? I only wrote that box on the plane. <laughs> <laughs>
0: There's another aspect to it as well, though, and that is we're we mostly always talking about draft formats, but in auction formats, all of this $40 for right. Ronald Acuna now looks like a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Is, there, is there going to be a shift away from stars and scrubs-type draft approaches in auctions and more back towards spread the risk, get, get a bunch of $25 guys instead of a 40 and a $5 guy? I
2: just think that the, 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 in, the, in any. Shallower mixed league auction, you know the the Juan Sotos get more money. It, it, it's it's still going to be stars. It's just a different kind of star, and they'll still. You know, all it takes is all it takes is one positive report on you know Tatis and Acuna. They're gonna one out of fifteen is gonna you know take a look at the draft boards today. One out of fifteen is gonna not
1: worry about it. That okay. So there's a there's another macro point that's come up a couple of times this weekend between. The guys like Acuna and Degrom that we are going to be in like the Apollo thirteen reentry phase. We're not going to know anything about their injury situation until they report to camp, and th- and then you take that and you overlay the CBA issues, the possibility of a lockout, and the possibility that th- between December first and God knows when they come to agreement, there's going to be no free agency movement. Like it, it's perhaps a year when there's going to be more difference than ever between early drafts and late drafts. And draft boards from November, December, January, February, and then what happens in the last two weeks of March are gonna be turned upside down and shaken. And the funny thing about that is the people who are beholden to those ADPs that get baked over those four months and then People start jumping things using that as that those ADPs that are baked and using those as a basis for jumping people up and down. In the last two weeks of March, it's going to be like those eight, those eight, four month ADPs are going to be practically written in a different language.
0: I think what I was getting at is, irrespective of what we know about the context yeah. at any given point, is the approach. Not to spend a lot of money on one or two guys because it's just too risky. No matter who they are, like you could say, "Oh, Ronald Acuna is, you know, all better. We don't have to worry about that." And that might be true. So let's take Trey Turner number one. And we'll protect ourselves a little bit. He could get hurt. He could get hurt easily. They all can get hurt easily. And that seems to me to be something to think about when you're yeah. planning your strategy. I, I mean, it's something you to don't think don't about. But the injuries
1: were actually so perva- pervasive that. I'm not sure you can avoid them. I'm not sure two $20 guys instead of a $40 guy doesn't just mean your $220 guys are both going to get hurt too.
0: But now two of them have to get hurt instead of Which, one, well, so your well, risk well, is not But DG's. it's still pretty
1: damn common. There,
2: <laughs> no. there might be fewer stars to go stars and scrubs. Yeah. I don't think the strategy – I think there may be – out of 15 teams – you know, right now, you know, I don't know, five or six or seven that go pure scars and scrubs, maybe it's three or four. But yeah, some may, just due to the supply and demand of the stars, some of, some of them may have to knock, knock it down a, a notch. And, then,
1: and what you're saying almost necessarily has to appear in the pitching where we're, if we're talking about, you know, the top end pitching being a little less appealing this year, then that's going to push dollars down to the next year. And maybe people are paying, you know, low 20s for a couple for three guys rather than, you know, 28, 28 and 16 or something like that. And then, you know, the, it, it, the distribution could, could very well look different. I'm not saying you're wrong at all.
0: And that takes us back to the idea of all of these fungible middle relievers, what we used to call Lima guys back in the day, and a lot of people still do call them that. Is there an opportunity to rejigger the pitching part of your budget and the, or the pitching part of your draft plan to say, I'm very confident that there's going to be so many of these guys that I'm just going to get six of them or five of them at draft for a buck each or for the 23rd through uh, 19th rounds? and I'm just going to load up everywhere else because if they don't work out, I'll dump them and grab another one because there's going to be millions.
2: It's always been part of my strategy anyway. So I, I think if, if more people do them, I always let – if someone wanted to pay for in previous, not that he wasn't fantastic – but I'll get someone who's – the difference between what I paid for Batantes and what I had to pay for the next guy wasn't enough not to just pay the buck on the next guy. Yeah. Batantes is worth whatever – I'm just using him from a few years ago. Plus I see Derek Cardi here who loves Derek Batantes. <laughs> and it, rightfully so because uh, – so, so if that's the point, I'm still going to – but I may, I may have to go further down my $1 guy because more people are after him. But there's still you – can, you can find
1: somebody.
0: Yeah, there's always millions of them. Yeah, there. there are millions
1: of them. And you might, it might be you take generic $1 guy and two weeks into the season you're looking at a guy who's got seven innings and 12 strikeouts and you're like, that's my new guy. And you go fab yeah. him and then you you play Especially, that game all
2: year long. And fade, feeding it into the whole wins thing, you, well, you're going to lose out on wins. <laughs> you may gain wins. Yeah, totally. Because the starters aren't getting wins. Hi, and, Brent Suter. Now, well, or Petit. Petit yeah, well, he sure. made, I think he had, what, 11 wins at the All-Star break and he ended up with 11 wins. You just don't know. But, uh, but 11 is he, wins is 11 there's wins. Less, there's less so. of a
1: – downside and there are at least teams you know just like we know there are teams that are going to have the set closer and not there are teams that we know are going to be running openers multiple times a week and once you figure out who those middle relievers are it's not actually that hard to figure out who the 11 win guy might uh, target might be
2: wins are predictable they're just there's more variance around that projection or less likely to get it right but they're predictable there's reasons to predict them but we know
0: ability. exactly
1: how many there will be in the pitcher
0: pool. <laughs> all, all right, we we have about 15 minutes left we had a whole yeah, bunch of boons yeah. and banes and players to do and I don't think we're going to get to them all. But so let's just go through the, the positions really quickly and you could pick either a boon or a bane but not both. That was we'll close up some time that way. Uh, let's start with catchers. Uh, Todd, who do you have for a boon or a bane in the catching pool?
2: I've actually here's the, my guy can be both. And that's Dal- Dalton Varsho. I wasn't sure yeah. which. Way. I didn't know which way I wanted to put him.
1: That's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, I was working on his forecaster box. Yeah, I, don't think
2: can, I can make a, an argument either way. I think he's going to get the playing time, and because he's a catcher, I think that playing time is going to put him into the boon category. He has to be really bad in order not to make private back as a catcher. And it looked to me like Arizona wants to have his some playing time. I, you know, selected samples. Slash lines aren't the best. 530, five steals after the break, so he earned a shot next year to get regular playing time, if not a catcher in the outfield.
1: Those who have been here this weekend have heard the. It's not a cop out. It's a. It's a question that gets raised so many times. Like before, you t- before I tell you what I think of a guy, you got to tell me what the price is, and that's where I am on Varshow. You know, I I I looked at the metrics. I like them as much as you do. I agree about the opportunity, but I worry that come. Dra- heavy draft season, people are going to look at him and be like, ooh, he's the catcher-stealer unicorn. I have to have him. And if that's the case, I'm going to be out.
0: Okay, what's your boon or bane catcher, Ray?
1: Uh I will take the bane of Salvador Perez because Derek's sitting right there and regression is a cruel mistress, I think you said, about six hours ago. Um, and that's exactly what I what comes to mind there. And we don't have to look too much further back in Sal Perez's track record to see the, uh, the perils of... That position too and uh, you know the the 40 plus home runs came with an awful lot of playing time that gets awfully tough to carry at that position and even if he does play all the time you know that was a career year Uh, he's going to be overpriced.
0: My answer is also Sal Perez and the reason is last night we were watching the Red Sox uh, Houston game uh, game one with a bunch of the analysts who are presenting here at, at First Pitch Arizona who are attending here at First Pitch Arizona and I said I need some help from you guys. Who's a Boone or a Bane catcher? And like six people yelled out, Sal Perez. And here I crazy. am thinking I had
1: original thoughts. Yeah.
0: Everybody has the same feeling, is that he's just going to be overdrafted based on what happened this year and between his age and his general track record in the past. It's highly likely that whatever it's going to cost you is just going to be too much. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. First base. Ray, you want to start us off? I uh,
1: will go with Bobby Dahlbeck, uh, who really – you know, flailed and flailed and flailed away in the first half and then suddenly in the second half got a real clue what he was doing at home plate. And I am pretty interested in what the con- combination of improved contact and his light tower power will do for a full year. Todd, tell me I'm right. Tell me I'm right. Um, I believe – can he play left field? That's. I'm, <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, say, <laughs> I want to find a place in to play games? him. In home games, sure. Correct. I want
2: to find a place to play him is my point there. Yeah. Um, there there's there's some talk about – I mean, Cases that we've seen, It's not. he's not far away. Tristan Casas is, is not far away. Um, I'm glad you. I'm glad you choose the on on the good side because I had trouble finding somebody. Uh, this is probably losing me some followers or some friends, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Matt Olsen is my uh, is my uh, Scott Jenstad just unfollowed you. Yeah, is my bane. And it's not. I mean, it's not that I don't like Matt Olson and aren't impressed with this game. Man, 33 percent strikeout rate. And I know that was his worst to 17 or 16 percent, and he did it by being more aggressive. Um, there's just too much downside there and you know when you're you need to put the ball in play for the home runs and you know, everything follows so I just think he's a second rounder right now. That's no. that's that's a little, and I mean, I went to my the draft I did, and I went to the boards here to double check it. That's far too rich for my blood. So it, I mean, if if I had seen sixth round on on Olsen, I wouldn't he wouldn't be my guy. But at second or third round price,
1: insert generic high strikeout, low yeah. batting average, power hitting first baseman yeah. here. I'll find one after round fifteen because we me yeah. something percent of I my. Mean, you know, I'm sure you know Babs will come up with somebody yeah, for totally. us. You know.
0: A little earlier, uh, Todd had Dalton Varsho as both a Boone and a bane. I feel the same way about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I, I Of course, I think I believe most of what happened this year, a 400 on-base percentage, all those home runs and driving in runs and scoring runs. And a lot of it was because he just came into camp in way better shape. But there's also the whole uh, ballpark issue. I think that there's a chance that he can repeat but there's a chance if he just regresses a little, he's gonna be overdrafted. He's gonna be in the first round for sure. And I can see, you know, he's still got his grandma cooking those uh, that that food for him in his Toronto apartment, and he's been very diligent about being better about his food. But the temptation's always there and he's, you know, getting a little a little older. I don't know about Vladimir Guerrero and where he's gonna go. I'd like to find out what you got where you guys think he's gonna go and how likely he is to be able to repeat what he did this year, which is definitely high first round.
2: Without the steals, he needs to continue to hit three, ten, twenty, thirty, and I think you know. He, now we're at the do. You, do you need him return? If you draft him in the fourth or fifth pick, you need him return thirty-five dollars, or do you need him return twenty-five and he's not a bust? You know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't see a total bust out of him. No. He's too good a hitter to be a total bust. Will he return thirty-five dollar value? I don't know about that. So um, I. I'm not worried about the. I mean, some of the players from Toronto hit better early, some of them hit better late. So it wasn't it wasn't a parallel, different parks. It was just noise and and however however all that, that all that all works out. But I yeah I, I I'm less inclined to take him in the top five. Once he's out of the top five, he's interesting to me.
1: Yeah, my point there is going to be less about Guerrero himself. and I'm doubling down on some of the points I made in the Simeon conversation earlier, but there's no way, even the ballpark issue aside, there's no way that team context can be as good next year. I can't see the the, the counting stats, the runs, the RBIs, the at-bats being as good, even if he, even if he stays healthy because they just scored so many runs. It's, it reminds me actually of uh, five, six, seven years ago. I don't remember the – Toronto team with Donaldson and Batista when they led the world in scoring runs, and back then, I think we were a little less mature as an industry, and not all of us corrected for how that team context was going to go down the next year. That's not a mistake I'm making again this year.
2: I've done that study in doesn't always happen. The team that scores the most of the runs, how many did they not? It's like they scored like 100, 150 fewer runs the next year. It's huge.
1: Yeah, it's it's huge. And you, I mean, sure, you can make excuses like they didn't have Springer much of this year and he'll be back, but someone else will get hurt. And if Simeon isn't there and he's, you know, Kevin Biggio is back and hitting 210 instead of Simeon what that downgrade is and, you know, something else bad will happen. And, you know, they'll still be good and score a lot of runs because they have good players, but they have nothing but downside in terms of you know, the raw counting stats.
0: The rest of it, yeah, exactly right. Uh, who is next? I've lost track for uh, uh, a base. first baseman, or do we all do? We did first. Second base. We're all done, okay. Second base, So who wants to start? Todd, go ahead.
2: Um, I, I had a bunch of numbers, so, I mean, I can back this up. we, we we're a little low on time. Jorge Polanco is my bane, and I'm kind of pissed off because I used to love to get him Bucker two as my middle infielder. That, that, I mean, he's now priced out of that. I I, again I had the numbers just we'll just we'll leave it at he had a whole bunch of lucky homers all the metrics supporting his power did not support the numbers that he hit and and or high fly ball percent or uh exit velocity on on fly balls did not support his level of power his power this is true regression regression of the mean not regression playing worse this is true regression it's coming with power but he's gonna be priced out of where I usually get him I mean 15 homers 11 steals used to love to get that as my middle infielder for like nothing
1: Mine, uh, another one that comes from my work on the plane for the forecaster, Uh, I came across Luis Urias and really, really liked what I saw in that profile. He was, in addition to the power output that I think we always knew he had, he made more contact as the year went on and as he played more regularly. I always like to see that in a young player. Uh, You know, his expected batting average in the second half was was climbing by a good bit it was up into the two sixties or something like that with the, the mid 20 home run power. And there's even, you know, going back a couple of years to uh, his minor minor's days, there are good speed numbers and some indication that there could be, you know, 10, 12 stolen bases there. You know, he, he earned a job he's going to play. And Oh, and he's also got second base shortstop, third base eligibility. Sign me the heck up for that.
0: My guy was a uh, Polanco. Also, I, liked him this year. I had him on one team and, and he was good. I just think that he's gonna be overpriced next year and, and, and I'm not he's gonna go in a place that I can't afford, basically. Uh let's go over to shortstop. Uh, Ray, why don't you start us off?
1: Uh this is another price dependent one. Todd, I don't know if you saw the boards, but tell me what Wanda Franco's gonna cost me.
2: Is Clay Link in the league?
1: <laughs> let's say no. Um
2: Franco's probably gonna cost you I, I would say a top fifty pick. Mm-hmm. So yeah.
1: um But here's the the thing, it's a a tough fit, kind of, it reminds me of, uh, I think we've had the conversation before, Todd, about Xander Bogarts, who's a really valuable, productive player, but for an early middle infield pick like that, for a guy who doesn't really run, it's kind of a hard structural fit sometimes, Franco will run a little bit, but... I love so much of everything about what I saw him. And as much as I have been for the the last couple of years, I'm the guy who wasn't touching Vlad until he did something and he shoved it this year and did it and now I'll buy in. But Franco's profile is so interesting. And if the cost is a little less than what people were paying for Vlad hype when Vlad was like a second, third, fourth rounder before he did anything to justify that, if I can get Franco a little further down than that, I'm not generally the guy who speculates on the rookie who hasn't done it yet, but I might do it in that case because I'm just so darn intrigued. But not top fifty might be too rich.
2: It's the hit tool. I mean, maybe, maybe you know, the the people I've talked to so far are, you know, I've done a draft with Derek Van Riper, so that it also helps explain the uh, the hype. And I think he is going to run. I think Franco is going to run some. So, but um, I agree as well. The hit tool is just so strong.
0: Trevor's Story, I think, is probably going to be overpriced based on his career, especially if he ends up, uh, which he almost certainly is going to end up somewhere outside of Colorado, and where he ends up is going to have a huge influence on how he should be valued, but I suspect how he should be valued will be under where he ends up being valued. I'm going to be
1: very curious to see that because we we have the super recent example of Arenado, and I feel like we tried to tell people what was going to happen there, and... I haven't gone back to it, but I think our projection was pretty close to where we downgraded him, and we were pretty low in the market on him, or at least... I, that that's not a defense of our projections i think it's more defensive i think most of the projection engines in general got it right and the market just did not listen the adps still just stay way too high to we, no matter how many times we thumped we thumped it and said no he's gonna hit 260 <laughs> yeah sure he'll still get the 25 30 home runs but you know there's a long way down from here but they still he' he stayed in like the third round or something like that i think he moved from the second to the third after he left Colorado so i am yeah super curious to see where story lands and after the projection engines again come up with a sound comment on where he goes from here, especially coming off a kind of a down year in Colorado that was propped up by a lot of stolen bases, what's the market going to do? I, history says that the market will not discount him enough.
2: For what it's worth, um, Arenado's – Park factors did your job for you. Yeah. It was almost to the – Yeah, it was right there. And the, I was having – Twitter uh, discussions with people. CJ Cron's slash line is going to be better than Arenado. He's not going to play as much, and that's the way it turns. Actually, yep. CJ Krohn was better. He had better on base.
1: Yep.
0: Third oh, base. Uh, real, I mean, oh, you get the time.
2: Uh, give me all the Gavin Lux. Yeah. yeah. Give me. I, I tweeted that out in middle of in September. Give me all the Gavin Lux. Um, there's not a lot that we can use for – uh, short-term analysis that we trust at this point, as we call them, sticky. Uh, I, I believe if you're hitting the ball really hard and you're not getting the results, you will soon get the results. I'll have it. Gavin Lux was just crushing the ball in September, and he's not playing the playoffs all the time right now, but I think by next year they'll find a place. He's second-base shortstop eligible. Uh, I just had to decide which of these positions I wanted to use him at. So give me Gavin Lux.
0: And speaking of those guys at the uh – Red Sox game last night that we were watching, and I was asking all the experts, who do you like, who don't you like? A lot of them like Ty France. I just want to throw that out there. That a lot of them believed in what he was doing this year and thought that he could actually have some enough growth to make him a, a decent, worthwhile pick. Uh, moving on to the outfield, uh, who do you like, we third
2: base, or are we skipping third base?
0: Did we not do third base? I have not written down his first, third, second short. That's how I always write it down. Uh, sorry. At, in third base, I'll go first. and I, I like Anthony Rendon as a bounce back candidate. I, I think that guys like that who have fairly serious injuries are often, and I have no research proof of this, but are often underpriced coming back. And uh, I don't know, I'm not a doctor and I don't know very much about the state of that injury, but everything I've read says they expect him to be pretty much back to normal by the time the season rolls around. And if so, Anthony Rendon's a really good fantasy player. You know, he's a he's had a, I think 125 RBI or somewhere around there, a league leading run uh, run batted in total. He's he's been a really good power guy. He hits for average. I like Anthony Rendon a lot, and if he's discounted even a round or two, I think that's somebody I'd be very curious about.
1: I agree. I think that's a good one. It's a bit of a tr- maybe a bit of a trust walk until he actually shows up into spring training, but you might make a really nice profit there mine is uh, at third base i'm going to take a bane on yohan Makata, who i've actually been off for a couple of years and uh you know he was down this year and in that sense that was a win for me but i think the market's gonna still be clinging to the hope that he's going to come back and hang up the massive batting average he had a couple of years ago and i i'm still off the skill set Entirely, I don't think that's there. I still think there's too much strikeout. You know, he doesn't really run. It's a, it's a, t- it, his profile is a tough one to get a lot of value out of, and he, I, I suspect he will continue to be overdrafted.
2: Uh, Brian Hayes on the good side, um, runs a little bit. Love the hit tool. And I think it's a cyst in his wrist. I think I think they're looking at again. I'm a component exit velocity guy. He had a high exit velocity on fly balls. It's hurt by PNC Park, but um, I know he's not a slugger. But he's, he does run, and I, I think he's going to put it together this year.
1: Let me come up with a global comment to go along with that. We were talking a little bit at the uh, ballpark last night. This is something we all need to reset in our minds. The Pirates actually know what they're
0: doing. <laughs> I find that hard to believe. but <laughs> No, no, trust me. <laughs> yeah, the, the proof of the pudding is in the eating eventually. Uh, let's wrap up the hitters with an outfielder. Todd, why don't you start us off?
2: Okay. Um, I'm still on Ian Happ. And it, it, again, I had the numbers, the fly ball, velocity, exit velocity. Uh, was, was doing really poorly, got hurt, started to do better, got hurt. Uh, turned it on towards the end. I think there's going to be a huge discount. I'm willing to take that discount on Ian Happ.
1: Uh, my boon is Jesse Winker, really nice first half, got hurt, c- came back. When he came back, well, the same stuff wasn't there, but I see an upside of first half times two, which would be 40 home runs.
0: I was going to say Cedric Mullins because I promised I'd talk about Cedric Mullins some more. I just I think I believe in what he did this year more than a lot of people do, Um First round, probably not, but second round seems okay to me. And if he was just to happen in a league to fall to the third round, I think that was the bargain of the century. But I'll say for my outfielder, the guy that I actually really like also is Brian Reynolds. He's one of those guys, speaking of Pittsburgh, that just seems to be a really good player that nobody hears anything about because the Pirates are never on TV. They're never on national games. They don't get any attention at all. And this guy's really good. And Dave Potts says Brian Reynolds is his favorite player. And Dave Potts is really smart about this stuff.
1: I'm not arguing with anything Dave Potts does ever. So,
0: <laughs> All right. Last uh, couple of things. How about a starting pitcher? Uh, Ray, you want to start us off?
1: Uh, Sandy Alcantara for me we're talking about the maybe a little bit of softness up at the top of the starting pitcher pool uh he will be my sp1 anywhere I can get him Todd if the market mirrors what the
2: conversation with Jesus Lazaro was at the earlier in this conference which was very negative I'm willing to take the chance Mm -hmm. that he's been hurt more than degrading of stuff at the price love the park. Um, I'm willing to t- in the streaming range.
1: Give me a Lizardo, and I'll, t- I'll If I have to drop him, I'll drop him and call. You know, take the L. Uh, going back to my things, we need to reset ourselves about at the team level. The Marlins kind of know how to handle pitchers,
0: so yeah,
2: let's
1: see. Yeah, if they, they're, let's they're, see if they can put him back together. There is that too.
0: I was looking at Tanner Houck, and I'm, I've been really impressed by him of late, especially in the very later part of the season. But I think I'm going to change, and I'm going to go with Tariq Skubel, who was one of the guys that got covered on this morning's uh, pitcher spotlight. Segment and uh, everybody seemed to like Tariq Skubel, especially if you think he goes, you know, six, eight bucks or whatever the equivalent is in ADP. There's a lot of upside that the experts liked. And I think those kind of guys. They mentioned that there's been incremental increases rather than big huge jumps and that those are seem a little more likely to be able to continue if you're just moving a, a step at a time rather than leaping up and then tripping and then that kind of thing.
1: I, I agree with everything about Scoobyl's profile that's super interesting. My concern now is that I think every industry town at this conference agreed about Scoobyl, therefore they're all going to write about Scoobyl and his ADP is going to rise way past that sixty eight dollar range you were talking about.
0: And do you have a reliever? That you like uh, or not like somebody
1: from the HQ forums was on this a couple of weeks ago, but pointed out, uh, Corey Kniebel's hot September, which of course has led to him pitching some very important in, innings for the Dodgers in the playoffs. Uh, the working as the opener, et cetera, but he's a free agent and wherever he signs as whether it's a plan B closer or uh, just a, another one in a stable of Tampa guys, You know, if he's back and healthy, we forget how good he was. It's been like three or four years now when, in Milwaukee, he was hater before hater, and... If he gets back and if he carries that forward another year in a place where they need someone in the ninth inning that they don't have Kenway Jansen, you know, we don't know where he's going to land, but I'm going to be super interested in that. and I'll probably draft him even before I know where he's going to land and just cross my fingers.
0: My relief bane is going to be uh, Jansen in Los Angeles because I've just seen so many cracks in the foundation here and there, and then he kind of comes back and and looks okay, and then there's another crack in the foundation and little, little runs of badness that I worry are going to get longer and maybe more pronounced. I think I'm in the minority on this Kenley Jansen thing, but I don't think I would draft him, especially when the cost, if there's an adjustment upwards for solid closers, if there is such a thing. He signs in Los Angeles again and everybody thinks he's one of those six or seven guys I can really count on in the Liam Hendricks kind of mold. I don't know. I I think uh, Blake Trinan might be a great guy to be looking at. Uh, down the road.
1: I'll give you this about Jansen using the cracks in the foundation uh, metaphor. When he comes apart, it's going to come, it's like a building going down the building's the ground. Gonna gonna gonna, go down I, don't down. Know, I don't know if it's going to happen next year or not, but it's not going to be a gradual degradation of skills, and then they begrudgingly have to remove them to close the role. It's gonna be a roll. It's going to be you know implosion on top of itself.
0: Right, like this, when they brought down the Superdome. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's going to look like that. A the, lot the of the dust.
1: Is, <laughs> you know, getting you know, <laughs> yeah, to right. build a new one, right.
2: Yeah. Alright, so given the proper way to handle closers in the middle of October is <laughs> um, I'll uh, I'm going to just say Joe Barlow if I'm t- if I'm taking a chance in an early draft and I'm hoping to get a closer that's going to start the season uh, he did close for the mid- Texas at a different couple of le- levels so we haven't heard closer of the future for a long Houston street type drafting to close but he it's got a pedigree of closing for Texas he closed the end of the year so if I'm if you're looking if I'm not going to draft Hendricks and I, I want a closer he'll usually want throwing my dart at but again <laughs> Who knows?:
0: All right, that's our time. We're uh, going to get back and maybe go out and see a game and have some fun here at First Pitch, Arizona. Thanks very much to Ray Murphy from baseballHQ.com and Todd Zola from Mastersball ESPN. Sirius xm and Rotowire. thanks also to our sound engineer james gale who does a tremendous job and gets everything recorded for us and uh, passes it along in fine shape to be produced uh, i'm patrick davitt i'm glad that we had this chance to talk with you here from first pitch arizona there probably won't be another baseball hq radio now until the new year so have fun thinking about fantasy baseball and we'll come back and talk to you then with another season of baseball hq radio and thank you to our live studio audience <clears throat> Nice of you guys to show up. It's a lot of fun. Thanks very much, and we'll talk to you soon.
1: Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com, where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today sports media group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.